Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by UNA, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Steve Clark. Steve is the founder of Biosupply Consulting and the author of Mine the Gaps, a new book based on a framework he developed to help supply chain organizations achieve their strategic objectives with the least amount of effort and cost in the shortest amount of time. So hi, Steve. Thank you so much for being here with me on the podcast. Thanks, Kelly. It's great to be here. So in my intro, I shared a tiny little bit about what you do now. I teased your book, which is something that we're going to talk about more today. But what else should listeners know about your professional journey to this point? Uh, Yeah, I started in the early 90s as a production planner. And then I started taking APIC certifications and heard about this thing called supply chain which uh, sounded very intriguing. So I've um, basically been in, in that uh, <clears throat> function for over 30 years now. Uh, slowly built my way up. And uh, so I've had several senior uh, director level positions at large companies, small companies. Uh, also in the, the same time, I've been teaching Lean Six Sigma uh, I have a black belt, and also uh, I've been teaching Apex for over 20 years. So, and then in the last couple of years, I uh, I've started my own consulting company, Biosupply Consulting, uh, so I can focus purely on strategic objectives and projects, uh, which has been a lot of fun. Well, and it sounds like all of that hands-on experience, plus the time spent teaching, plus what you've continued to see in your role in consulting, you sound like the perfect candidate to have written a book about some of this. So as we plan to discuss a few of the ideas today that are actually pulled from your book, for anybody that hasn't already read it, hasn't seen it go by, can you just give us a sort of a high-level overview so that we have a sense of what's the general subject matter and, and scope of the book? Uh, yeah, uh, so over over my career, I've noticed that there have been a few tools that I've gone back to uh, over and over again, which I've found to be uh, highly effective. Uh, it's probably about 20% of the overall number of tools that I've either taught or learned um, during that various different certifications, etc., uh, so I thought it would be helpful uh, for people to, rather than having to go through all the certifications and learn uh, uh, so much that they probably are not going to use, I distilled it all down to uh, a few effective uh, tools. Uh, so now I've got this uh, bag of powerful tools, as it were, uh, which is great, but then you need to know when and how to use them. So I put some thought into what is the natural sequence of events? Uh, and so I developed a, a framework. Uh, so the, it helps 
take you from developing a strategic objective all the way to managing projects and getting things implemented effectively. Well, and it sounds like you're you're using sort of that time-tested Pareto, right? That of all of these tools and tricks in your bag, it's really 20% of them, as you said, that you come back to again and again because they have the greatest impact in the shortest amount of time. And if we stay with this idea of delivering quick wins, which is something all procurement and supply chain professionals want to do these days, mm-hmm. let's talk about data. So what mm-hmm. are the types of data that you're recommending professionals prioritize, assuming that quick wins is a high-level priority for them? Yeah. So first of all, the data depends upon what your strategic objective is. So let's just take on-time delivery as uh, one of those uh, strategic objectives. So you identify the metric that's going to help you uh, best measure your progress uh, towards your target. Uh, And then we take a um, similar to a Six Sigma approach. So those of you that are familiar with Six Sigma, uh, the focus is on defects, but defects within the manufacturing process. And then, uh, like you say, uh, creating a Pareto on those defects and then uh, addressing the the big bars. Uh, In this case, uh, the defects uh, are, uh, in in terms of on-time delivery, if you think about it, the defects are late orders, mm-hmm. right? So you do basically the same um, the same analysis. Uh, take all those late orders, uh, identify what the reasons are, develop the uh, the Pareto, and then develop solutions. Uh, so that's really powerful to get at what your real problems are, as opposed to what happens. I think in many organizations is that you're there's kind of, there's maybe the senior managers picked a pet project, or uh, or if um, so for for example, uh, there's there's various different um, issues that could occur. So for ex- for example, um, when I was at a large pharmaceutical company, they uh, they had a a problem with a shortage of materials. Uh, and it was uh, it was went on for quite a long, long time. So the director of supply chain thought that well now's the time to advocate for a new a new uh, supply chain planning s- software uh, because you know, that's um, uh, that's obviously the problem. Well, when we did a deeper dive into finding out what the real problems were, we found out that uh, the materials were actually on the dock, but they just couldn't be received uh, mm-hmm. because. Uh, there was a, a problem with the uh, the receiving specification, so the supplier had changed their name. It was the same supplier, uh, but um, uh, but now there was a different supplier than what was on the receiving spec, so it was put put on hold for for quite a while. So that's just a, a simple example of where you know there's a simple solution that can be put in place very quickly, as opposed to you know, jump into the conclusion that you need to uh, implement this complicated software. I think that's a great example. And it sounds like the kind of thing that, you know, what do they say? The the simplest explanation is typically the the true one. It's just a matter of the journey we have to take to get to that point to uncover it. 
Um, and if the old adage that you can't ma- imagine, if you can't manage what you don't measure holds true, it's interesting because there's also an inverse of that. You can be measuring something that actually has no meaning. And you take a step further and you talk about metrics that make people do dumb things, which I think is hysterical because I know we've all done it. Mm-hmm. But talk about that for a minute. What does that mean? What are metrics that make people do dumb things? Uh, yeah. And it's not so much the the specific metrics themselves. It's the more about the performance management system that you have in your company. Um, so one way to, uh, to communicate it is the difference between uh, prove versus improve. A lot of um, a lot of uh, metrics within organizations are very judgmental. So it's, uh, it's, it's imperative that you meet your targets or else bad things are going to happen, uh, which is a very uh, negative approach to, uh, to performance management. Uh, the better approach is rather than being able to, having to prove yourself is to use metrics to improve. Right, so the, the question should always be, if you're not meeting uh, the targets, you know, what, what are you doing about it? Uh, what data have you used, et cetera? And then you know, it's up to management to coach their uh, people so that they can uh, they, they gradually learn how to use that process. That's going to be a lot more effective than, uh, than, than using it to uh, you know, beat people down, as it were. Uh, so... Uh, and I'm sure the listeners uh, can think of lots of examples in their experience. Um, a classic one is where a company wants to maximize its revenue by the end of the quarter. Uh, so they're actually shipping products to customers uh, before the customer actually wants it, uh, just so that they can check that off as, a, as, as revenue. And then you know, then we'll worry about what the customer does with it um, once once it arrives. Uh, they'll probably give them a discount to uh, to accept it. Uh, so you, you know that's uh, that's not going to be uh, very productive in the long run. Uh, there are also uh, sales discounts for products uh, to get the sale by the end of the quarter, and then conversely, uh, there are situations where the salesperson's already met their quarter for the quarter. And so, in, and they've got and they've got additional bookings, but rather than quote unquote waste them on this quarter, mm-hmm. they'll hold on to them until the following quarter, so that they you know they'll they'll get the credit for that in the following quarter. Um, you know, there are lots of other situations if we go back to purchasing. Um, so I've been actually a recent client. We've been monitoring uh, their, uh, the savings within uh, purchasing. And so it's been based upon the average cost of uh, the uh, unit. Uh, so, so what the purchasing manager uh, noticed is that the more that they buy, the more the savings they're going to be able to uh, <clears throat> acknowledge. So that's, so that's what they did. They purchased more than they really needed to do. And they could say, hey, look, um, I, I've uh, the savings are better than we expected, so just those kinds of things that uh, if you take a step back and if, you know if somebody from the outside were looking in, they would just be shaking their head and what, what's going on here? Yeah, human beings are so human. 
You know, and even <laughs> listening to some of those examples from you, I, I was thinking, I actually just heard a, a story from a colleague the other day. Earlier in her career, she had responsibility for a big, huge inventory audit, and there was an amount that it came off at the end of the audit. And this part of the business had been audited in the past, and she went and she reported and she said, here's the, the variance, and I'm going through the data, but I, I can't find the, the source of where the problem actually is in the records. And as a matter of fact, two things came from it. One is that she was terminated. She had to take responsibility for the discrepancy. But a couple of her fellow auditors approached her and said, oh yeah, that's been off forever. But we knew that something bad was going to happen if we reported it. So it's one of those perverse incentives where you're trying to create some semblance of accountability. But if you create a system where people aren't going to come forward with the information because you're in that prove versus the improve state of mind, you're ultimately not going to be able to run your business very well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, one way to put it is that um, when a uh, when a, an employee is confronted with uh, data that, that you know they're below target, they have three choices: they can either distort the data, yeah. distort the system, or improve the system. Right. So, uh, and then. Which of those three is selected is based upon the kind of the uh, culture around uh, metrics in in the organization. Uh, but uh, just because you have metrics doesn't mean that they're going to be used for good. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, now, speaking of mindset, there's one other topic that I wanted to get into with you. And I think this is going to be of interest to anyone that has responsibility for making decisions around digital investment or or tech selection. You touched on this a little bit earlier when we talked about the um, the receiving spec, the supplier names simply not matching. And our instinct is, oh, we need more tech. We need another platform. We need to integrate something or we need another data source. But you make the case that we can actually avoid wasting a ton of money on tech and still achieve our strategic objectives. What's your advice around that? Yeah. <clears throat> So before you uh, purchase technology or even consider uh, purchasing technology, uh, let's make sure that uh, we have a high degree of data integrity uh, first, and then also focus on, do you have a robust business process? Uh, the purpose of the software is to support the process, not the other way around, and you need the data to support the process as well. So without that, uh, and that might seem quite basic and fundamental, but believe me, I've seen organizations right, spend a lot of time and effort trying to implement a software and make it work when really they should go back to basics and, and figure out what's wrong with the, the process. Uh, I had a similar situation at a pharmaceutical company um, that uh, they uh, they uh, had implemented an ERP system and they were using it for supply chain planning, uh, but um, it wasn't working as well as they'd hoped. Now, the the system that they were using uh, was not state of art, uh, state of the art. Um, so again, the uh, there was a push by senior management to implement a, or find a better solution. 
Um, but if they've taken a step back and looked at the data, they'd realize that in some cases, uh, there were products that uh, even though the standard lead time was 90 days, uh, they, uh, in some cases, the, the actual lead time was closer to um, 200 days. Right? And that happened quite a lot. So no matter what kind of system that you have, if you've got a lead time variation that large, then uh, it, you're not you're not going to be able to plan effectively. So what they really needed to do is focus more on operational excellence to get that lead time variability down, um, and leave the ERP system alone. Because as you know, ERP and um, software uh, is expensive and difficult to difficult to implement. So don't uh, make life more difficult than it needs to be. Uh, not to say that. You know, um, I'm a Luddite, as it were. Technology is going to be uh, necessary at some point. It just shouldn't be the first resort, right? It should be something that you consider what, uh, later down the line. One way I, I would put it, which I think is a, a general rule of thumb, is first be effective and then be efficient, right? So make sure that your process is effective first before you try to automate it and make it more make it more efficient. Uh, so that approach, I think, uh, it, uh, can be um, can, can be very powerful in thinking about uh, effective versus efficiency, uh, because what happens is if you make an ineffective process um, efficient, you just fail more quickly, right? <laughs> so, that's, uh, so that's not clearly what we're, what we're aiming for. No, definitely not. I'm pretty sure that's not on anyone's strategic objective list. Do a really lousy job at a higher rate of speed. That's and yet unintentionally, we all do it all yep. the time, right? Yep. It's a matter of of being aware and and avoiding that. Right. Um, now, Steve, before I let you go, I want to put to you a pair of questions. It's part of the tradition here on the Sourcing Hero podcast. So I'm going to give you two options. And then it's up to you which question you want to answer, and then we'll hear what you have to say. So your choices are, what does the idea of a sourcing hero mean to you? Or second option, what does heroism look like in a business context? Uh, yeah, I'll take the, I'll take the, the second one, um, but I, I think my answer may answer both. Uh, so... Uh, you know, we think about heroes. You know, I guess when I think about a hero, first thing comes to mind is like a uh, a firefighter, like somebody that's willing to uh, risk their life to save somebody else's life, um, and they indeed are a hero. Um, at the same time, uh, the people that actually uh, prevent fires are not the ones that are regarded as heroes, even though they have a much bigger impact in the long run. Right? So in the short term, you, you do need to uh, have the firefighter, but relying upon the firefighter in the, in the long run is, uh, is, is not a winning strategy. So really we want to make the heroes, the people that are able to uh, prevent the fires. And in, in terms of in the business context, that would mean you know, as we talked about earlier, is fixing business processes, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
getting down into what what the root cause was. What is the root cause of the fire that has happened so we can prevent it from happening in future, right? So if you have a stable process, it'll avoid the need for those um, short-term heroes and um, be more focused on the long-term heroes. It never ceases to amaze me that for as many times as I ask that pairing of questions, I absolutely always get a different response. That's a that's a really unique point of view, Steve. I both appreciate you sharing that perspective with us and also appreciate hearing, you know, from your experience, from your book, from your co- time in consulting what all of us can do to mine those gaps. If people have listened to this conversation and would like to connect with you, would like to check out the book, would like to learn more, where would you direct them? Uh, so you can go to my uh, website, which is biosupplyconsulting.com. Uh, you can find a link to, uh, to download the, the book right now. It's available uh, as an ebook only. Uh, it's going to be published on Amazon later. So yeah, it's uh, biosupplyconsulting.com. That's excellent. Steve, thank you so much for joining me here on the Sourcing Hero podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.